Congratulations once again to the bride and groom. It is going off at the local town hall. Well, that's not really true. It was possibly going off about two or three hours ago. Now things have somewhat calmed down. What we have here are the dying embers of a party. Harriet and Sean just got married. They made a decision to do it as cheap as possible. So they're having the party here, their town hall. Small place, very old place, quite low ceilings, slightly rickety stage at the front. They got it cheap because Harriet's gran always does the drinks for community theatre and things. She's there right now, on drinks duty, over in the kitchen. The thing about town halls or village halls is that there is always, inexplicably, an old lady serving drinks through a hole in a wall. With one of those massive 40-litre catering kettles. It's maybe 11pm, but Harriet's gran is still there, ready to serve tea whenever the call arises. 86. Absolute machine. She sat on a chair by the hatch, so if you look over, what you can really see is a floating head. Harriet's brother, Sam, is DJing. DJing is something that he doesn't really know how to do. He's an estate agent, but his LinkedIn now also says he's a DJ. He's mostly just twiddling the volume and shouting some random things every 30 seconds. Things like this. Let me hear you scream if you're having a good time. Harriet told Sam, we need someone to do the music. Which didn't necessarily imply that she needed a DJ. So of course, he bought lots of kit and seemingly overnight realised he was really into electronic music. He likes standing at the front of the room. He likes all the buttons that he doesn't completely understand. He likes the noise. He likes putting one ear of the headphones on like he's seen professionals do. He made a track himself that he's played five times tonight. And here, against the sound of dodgy electronic music, the heart of England beats. (laughs) At this point, only the hardcore revellers remain. Some kids are still around, fueled by sugar and the general excitement of being up late. Harriet's aunt, Linda, says she sprained her ankle dancing to Uptown Funk, so sat with a cold back on it. Her husband, Paul, isn't very good under pressure, a bit scatterbrained really. When she fell over and said it was sore, his first thought was to sprint to the corner shop. He was thinking, ice, need ice, must get ice. He couldn't see ice, so he got a bag of frozen peas, a box of potato waffles, and a box of cola-flavoured ice pops, for variety. When he ran back into the hall, somebody had already found a first aid kit with cold pack. 
Linda laughed at him and asked why he'd chosen then to do the weekly shop. Meanwhile, Sam's friend Alec is snogging one of Harriet's bridesmaids, Tess. He's married, she's in a long-term relationship, they're both drunk enough to ignore how bad an idea this actually is. Well, actually, someone tried to split them apart an hour ago, but they held fast like mollusks. Now they're going at it like they're trying to retrieve each other's molars with their tongues. She liked the way he smelled. He liked her laugh. And Sean's friend, Pete, from London, is bobbing around at the edge of the dance floor. He just did some cocaine in the toilet. He's been doing it alone all night. He's now regretting it because a 17-year-old kid saw him doing it and asked for some. Otherwise, he said he would rat him out. Pete is having quite an intense moment of self-reflection. It's not like he knew the teenager at all, and he can't see him in the main hall. Pete is cycling through half-remembered Vice articles about what's actually in cocaine. Oh Christ, what if it's rat poison? What if the kid dies? For Pete, the beating heart of England beats very fast indeed. He needs a drink. Across the room, Sean's mum, Sandy, is crying to Harriet's mum about how beautiful everything is, with the balloons and the ribbons and the fairy lights and everything. So you think they just look so lovely? It's a very one-sided conversation. And at a table to the side, Harriet and Sean sit, knackered, holding hands. They both yawn, watch the kids in the centre pop the balloons that had descended from the ceiling. Harriet makes a joke about it being a metaphor for their marriage. People say it's wonderful that they're finally getting married. Nice girl like her, nice guy like him. It's nice. It's all very nice. Nice day, nice event, nice people. They both worry that they don't talk enough. Sean really wants a cigarette. He doesn't smoke, not as a habit. But at 5am that morning, he got up out of bed, walked to the car, sat in it, and coughed through five cigarettes while listening to a CD from the mid-2000s about improving your golf swing. He doesn't even play golf. The smallest of changes can improve a game drastically. In this chapter, we will look at the reverse case setup. As at the same time as he was in the car, contact... Harriet put on a dressing gown and her slippers and went and sat inside the shed at the bottom of the garden. She sat on an upturned bucket and listened to a meditation podcast while simultaneously googling pictures of dogs in Halloween costumes. She categorically did not meditate. They both came back into the house at the exact same time an hour later. They looked at each other for a moment and then got back into bed without speaking a word. In the town hall toilets, Dan, friend of Harriet's from work, is sat in a cubicle, scrolling through Harriet's Instagram. 
She looks very happy in her photos. He wonders what it would be like if they had married instead. Wonders if, in fact, he would want that. He imagines himself being in a film. If this was a film, he would have done the whole I object thing at the wedding. Does that ever work, he thinks? Bit late now. Maybe he could fight the groom. Then again, it's quite nice, the groom, actually. And Dan's never been in a fight. He wishes he could do something assertive, like hit someone, or tell someone he loves them. He's not sure why, but a tear forms in the corner of his eye. Back to the dance floor. Hannah, one of Sean's aunts, is considering dancing. She used to love dancing. She used to do ballroom with her other half. But he passed away three years ago. She finds it difficult to muster up the courage. It was their thing. She breathes deeply, gets up from her chair and sits back down. She feels small. How do we know that we are in control? To dance or not to dance? Is it our decision to make? There is a change in the air. The temperature drops. On the tables, glasses of wine and beer shake. The music speeds up. The ground starts vibrating. And then each person feels a tingling arrive, first in their fingertips, moving up towards the brain. To the point where it feels as if people's heads are being grasped by a set of hands. Goose pimples on skin, hair raises up. At the entrance of the hall, an older bloke is laughing. But there's something different. It is the same laugh being repeated. The exact same laugh. His mouth is doing the exact same movements, stuck there in a loop. There is a rumbling sound people start to realise that something is wrong. Their heads think one thing, but their arms and legs begin to move against their owner's will. On the toilet, Dan can't stop crying. The tears are flowing down in a repeating stream, and he is still swiping on his phone. The main hall, Hannah is stuck in a loop. Getting up from her seat, sitting down, getting up, sitting down, getting up, sitting down, like a clockwork toy. Sam the DJ keeps playing the same awful loop, head bobbing forward and back. Pete's head feels like it is on fire. He is doing shots at the drinks table, but he is pouring and drinking. 
One shot, two shots, three shots, four shots, five shots, six shots. People are stuck doing one motion. The beating heart of England keeps repeating. Harriet's gran, 86, is stirring a cup of tea over and over and over again. The room is filled with noise. The kids are popping balloons that aren't there. Two teenagers are spinning as they hold each other by the hands. They are beginning to feel sick and their feet are becoming sore. The two lovers, Alec and Tess, are digging with their tongues until each other's mouths are raw and numb. Sean and Harriet are locked in place, hands gripping like vices. They can see but not respond to the chaos around them. In everyone's head, a thrumming pulse beats through. It digs in behind their eyeballs. And then, nothing. The music stops. The pulse disappears. It is just a half-empty hall again. Everyone blinks, falling into their bodies like newborns. There is no initial acknowledgement of what has just happened. There is just hard breathing, exhaustion. Sean's dad is on the floor, struggling to get up. He had tripped and seemed to be repeating the trip over and over again. He looks shaky. The small group of people left at the end of this party asked themselves whether they dreamed what had just happened. Whether they had just simply blacked out. People don't know where to look, don't know where to find that thrumming pulse that leapt into their head. Sean and Harriet speak over each other. People wander out into the cold air, as if they will find answers there, as if it will all become clear outside. Someone calls an ambulance. And then Paul calls for police. But when they get there, they're not entirely sure what they're meant to do. It's not like they have anyone to go after, to arrest. And no one's particularly hurt either. Paul feels somewhat useless again. As far as police can see, this incident was isolated entirely to the town hall and lasted no longer than a couple of minutes. Sean tries to describe it to a policeman tells them about the sound and the tingling and the loss of self-control. They nod long, confused. Elsewhere, Harriet's gran assumes everyone could do with a nice cup of tea. So she goes back inside and starts pouring into mugs over and over again, this time seemingly at her own free will. She makes 50 cups of tea, which is excessive. She asks the police officers and paramedics if they would like one. Elsewhere, people wander about, as if trying to prove to themselves that their limbs are theirs. Some people call relatives, ask if they're okay. Harriet and Sean mill about further away from the hall, down by the river. Sean suggests they get a kebab from the van that opens late. Go home. But he's not really hungry, and they honestly aren't actually that good. 
He always thinks it will be a good idea, but it never is. Harriet says she'd rather not. As they stand in the cold and the dark, they feel genuinely puzzled as to what they're supposed to do with this newfound independence. How they're supposed to feel about each other. For a moment there, they are suddenly aware of how little they know about what the other is thinking. It feels like, with this electric shock that they've just had, that they are new and different people to those that they were. And then, strange thing, whether it is instinct or whether it is some other force, whether it is her subconscious or something external, that Harriet takes off her heels and begins to walk away, down the street, away from the town hall. And Sean calls after her a couple of times, but he doesn't go after her. And then she is walking slightly faster, to the point that it becomes running. Quite fast running. And Sean watches her go down a long road. Perhaps he wants her to go. She'll stop running at some point, he thinks. She'll have to stop running at some point, she thinks. Elsewhere, Dan wipes his eyes, deletes Instagram. Pete vomits into a bush, head spinning from booze and possibly rat poison. Makes a mental note. Go for a run in a couple of days. Sort yourself out. Healthy eating from now on. Google quinoa. Inside, Sam checks his beloved music equipment, hoping nothing's broken. It works. He lines up a new track, presses play. Hannah is one of the only people still inside, sat there where she was. But then a song kicks in and she gets to her feet. She feels the rhythm and starts to sway her hips. Soft footsteps, side to side. It's not quite dancing, but it's on the way. Small footsteps to anyone, but big footsteps to her. Harriet's grand makes herself a cup of tea, and as no one else is looking, sneaks in a small dash of whiskey from a hip flask. Smiles to herself a mischievous grin. Paul carries Linda by piggyback to the taxi, careful not to hurt her ankle. He helps her into the back seat. He's carrying the frozen food in a plastic bag that knocks against his thigh. She kisses him on the cheek. Alec and Tess pry themselves apart. They talk to each other, consider how unwise their actions are, consider the hurt it might cause their other halves. They consider, given the events of that evening, whether they have been offered a golden opportunity to take a different path to the one they were going down. And then they go right back to snogging each other's faces off. The room will be cleaned, and people will go home. They will go to sleep, and will wonder what it is that actually happened. 
tomorrow they will make an entirely new set of decisions. So you think they just look at the wrong one? What are the ones doing to do?